Well, good morning. Welcome to Creekside. If you want to take your Bibles out, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Isn't that great? I think that's the second rap song I like. Probably the only, only the second rap song I like. I won't tell you what the other one is. But uh, I, uh, we, we, I was sitting back there watching this the other night on Friday night, and it was just such a blessing and a joy to see the kids uh, uh, express uh, just their, their skills and, and the gifts that God is giving them in this platform. And I thought, you know something? This would be a great thing for us to experience on a Sunday morning. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate the sound people and uh, Steerwaltz and all the families who brought their kids early to be a part of it. You know, aren't there a lot of barriers today for people coming to know Christ? Think about it. There's the people who follow him. We, we can be a barrier to people coming to know Christ. There's people who, who feel like they can't connect or know the living God. Like he's just out there, but he's not there for them to be able to experience. Oftentimes it's because of their own unbelief, their own doubts, their own issues of faith. A few years ago, there was a, a theologically significant film that came out. And my son's, uh, one of them said, Dad, Dad, you got to watch this with me. You'll, you'll just laugh like crazy. And, uh, and, it, and it was pretty funny, but there really was some fairly significant theological truths in it. And, uh, and, and the movie is Talladega Nights. <laughs> if you are familiar with the, the, the movie, it's about a NASCAR race car driver named Ricky Bobby. And him and his, his companion racer and best friend, well, neither one of them are the sharpest tacks you know, around. They're, they're really, they're a little dull, a little not so bright. But he's a very talented driver, and he was winning and doing all of these wonderful things. And uh, then he's got his beautiful wife who, uh, she's probably about a eh, 25-watt bulb in, in the big chandelier of life. She's not that bright either. But where the theological significance of this movie comes in is in a clip when they're praying. Now you have to understand, Hollywood very seldom shows families praying. And then to see them praying in Jesus' name is just another almost big step and leap of faith. Now, I don't know if they were trying to make fun of it or not, but it's a pretty funny scene, so hang with me and, and we'll move you through what we're trying to show you here. So if you would watch this. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your 
golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the- Hey, Cal. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, <laughs> newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. Dear Very humorous, but there's a lot of truth rolled up in that scene. See, one of the greatest barriers for people really to enter into this, the reality of Jesus as God, is that people really do tend to replace him with a little baby Jesus, especially at this time of year. Isn't that true? Makes us feel really good when we see this, well, this nativity scene. It's funny, I was just talking to somebody after service and they were looking at some nativity scenes and, and, uh, and one of the spouses said to the other, you know, we really got to go get ourselves an activity scene. And, uh, <clears throat> but, but there's a lot of activity in that scene, isn't there? But, but people, they, they like to stay focused on the little baby Jesus aspect, don't they? The little infant in the major. I mean, what power does an infant have? What demands would he make on the lives of people? What would he ever confront? It's just this little bundle of baby Jesus lying in the manger, so romantic, so tranquil. And we laugh at that last scene. But I, I, I want to kind of challenge you this morning. Don't you think that really there's a lot of Christians that live that way? Don't we kind of have our own other baby Jesuses? Oh, we might not want to keep him in the manger, but there's other ways that we see him. Sometimes we, we want to pray to the bailout Jesus. I, I don't want to serve him. I just need him to help me, to get me out of my personal jams and my troubles. And then it's kind of, well, maybe out of sight, out of mind. Or sometimes we pray to the Aladdin's lamp Jesus, someone who will not simply meet our needs, but he is there to meet all of our wants. And so we rub the prayer, uh, the lamp of prayer, and oh, Jesus, come all forth and, and give me my wants. Kind of like Carly in, the, in her prayer there. Pray good so that we can win some races. Pray good so that we have the money that we want to do what we want. Pray good so that our life is good and we don't have any troubles. And so we begin to see Jesus as more of a, a good luck charm. But what happens when he doesn't produce? Well, then it's, well, where's God? How come God doesn't love me? 
Or, or maybe it's the part-time Jesus, the one who's available when I'm in the mood. Or when I like kind of having him around, kind of like holiday time. You know, there's that sense of nostalgia to, to talk about Jesus now. Oh, there's certain moments in my life when we really need him, you know. I'm going to get married or I'm going to get a job change. Oh, Jesus, hear me, help me. For some of us, maybe it's a Sunday-only time where we kind of touch base with him, brush up against him in the crowd dynamics of here. We come and, you know, we, we like to s the singing and kind of like that dynamic of the worship band or some of us maybe like the, the teaching that kind of helps us in our life. But then kind of Monday through Saturday, it can be just kind of business as usual because it's, well, it's a part-time Jesus. Or how about the storybook Jesus? You know, the one that you can take the stories from the scriptures, you enjoy them and kind of extracting some of the wonderful principles out of them. But, but ultimately in your life, we begin to treat them like legends and myths and we see those people as simply uh, some super great, super action heroes. We don't really take them seriously. We, we don't really focus on them as something that we're going to build our life upon. See, don't, don't we all kind of grow up that way that we embrace a certain Jesus? And some of us really do kind of fashion him in our own likening. We get stuck in this time warp, and before you know it, we, we replace the real Jesus of today with some Jesus or some facsimile of one that's been handed down to us and forget to really focus and allow the word and God's word to provoke us to focus on Jesus today, the present tense Jesus that we know of. You know, that's not unusual. It happened in Jesus' time. People back then had a hard time really um, putting Jesus in the context of who he was, and they wanted to make him their own kind of Jesus as well. If you're in Mark chapter 6, uh, this may not seem like a real Christmas story, but it really has to do with setting the stage and helping us understand the Christmas story and how people see Jesus back then, even today. So if you look at Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, it says this, Jesus left there and he returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. I love this. He made a real hit. He was impressing everyone. Man, we had no idea Jesus was this good, they said. How did he get so wise and all of a sudden get such ability? Well, but in the next breath, notice how quickly people change and how quickly everything changes. But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. Oh, he, he's just a carpenter. He's Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James and Justice and Jude and Simon and all of his sisters. Who does he think he is? Now, it says they tripped over. Some of your translations will say they stumbled over. They stumbled over what little they knew about him, and they literally fell sprawling. I mean, it's like they just kind of fell on their face over the truth of what Jesus was all about. And they never got any farther. And so Jesus told him, he said, you know, a prophet has little honor in his hometown. Among his relatives and on the streets, he played in as a child. And this is what's so profound about this. Jesus wasn't really able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them, but that's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and he made a circuit of other villages teaching. Did you pick up what's taking place here? It's a, it's a classic 
issue of familiarity with Jesus, comfort with Jesus. There's a sense of, well, this is how we know Jesus. These people are probably, as, as he's finishing up and, and the thing goes from we're impressed with him to this is just Jesus, you can just hear going, you know, he's pretty impressive, but, but, but Luke, didn't, didn't he make your rocking chair? Jonas, didn't he go over to your house and fix your door? Simeon, didn't, didn't, didn't he kind of go do some work and give you a new kitchen table and everything? I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? They, they, they saw him as only one way. Jesus, the one they grew up who had become a carpenter. And the people who know him or know of him begin to establish and develop kind of a set bias toward him. And, and we all be comfortable in our own belief about him. And the problem with that is, loved ones, is not only do we miss him, but then there begins to be an inability to receive from him. And most ultimately, the issue of receiving him. Because it's, well, it's, it's just Jesus. Can you see the parallel to today in our culture? And even worse, in the church? Oh, we know of him. We, we kind of got him figured out. We put him in our own little box of understanding, this little baby Jesus. We sing to him and we praise him, but we forget his majestic being, the power of his life. And pretty soon we begin to miss out on what he can do in our lives. The miraculous touch that he can bring to it because it's, well, it's just Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's really a Christian apologetic novel. The story takes the form of a series of letters from a senior demon. His name is Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew, who is a junior tempter. His name is Wormwood. Now, Screwtape holds this administrative post in the bureaucracy, or we'll call it the, the lower archy of hell. And he acts more as a mentor than a supervisor to Wormwood this little experienced tempter that he keeps writing to. And every letter ends with this signature phrase, your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. In the body of the 31 letters of this book, there really is kind of a doctrinal treatise a lot on, on, on Satan and how he operates in our lives and how the, the, the demonic realms work in our lives. Screwtape gives Wormwood detailed advice on various methods of undermining the faith. And in the process, it's interspersed with observations about human nature as well as Christian doctrine. But one of the key points, one of the key letters that he writes about is this idea of make their faith ordinary. Make it common. Make it commonplace. And sometimes I think, loved ones, that that's probably one of the most difficult places we find ourselves day in and day out, week in and week. Everything just becomes common. Ho-hum. Can't you see it in the corridors of hell's council meeting? They're talking. Man, we, we, we couldn't kill him before his birth. We couldn't keep him in the grave when we did kill him. What can we do to make this Jesus so common, so familiar in the world, in the U.S., in California, in Martinez, Creekside, what can we do? Well, I could see him coming up with a couple of things. Hey, let's do this, bumper stickers. 
let's do some bumper stickers and let's get all the people to go bumper stickers. If you love Jesus, honk. You know, and you know what happens with that. Some of the problems. Oh, I forgot I had my sticker on today, you know. How about this one? Let's have all these really, let's get all these big superstores and Christian bookstores that are just filled with trinkets and junk. And we can sell people. Mugs that say Jesus on them. T-shirts that proclaim Jesus. Necklaces that have a cross on them. And let's get the wristbands that say, what would Jesus do? And have all these big pictures of Jesus that they're really not pictures of Jesus. Let's get all of our worship music that's just for us. Let's have worship concerts just for us. Let's have all these big meetings just for us. Let's have 24-7 radio programs of just teaching. That just We sponge it in and we learn. But, but very soon our heads outgrow our hearts. Ho-hum, another talk. Ho-hum, yeah, I, I've heard that about Jesus. You see how easy it is to just have everything become commonplace? Even in church, you know, you grow up. You grow up in church and, yeah, yeah, I know what it is. I've heard that, you know. It's like the Sunday school teacher who's asking the class this very simple question. And he says, what is brown, has a long furry tail, stores up nuts for the winter? Well, because this kid's been in church now for a while, he raises his hands. Well, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just common. Yeah, it's got to be Jesus. And sometimes people go to church and, you know what, we really don't think a lot about what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're really coming to meet. It's, it's possible some of you could have already checked out. Oh, man, I got people coming over today. Oh, I got family coming in this week. Oh, oh I got to get these presents wrapped. I got to go buy these presents over here. Ah, bah, bah, bah. And we forget that we're here to meet his majesty. Not a baby, but the man God, Jesus. And people can become so brilliant in other areas of their lives and their vocations and their education, but when it comes to God, so many never give it more of a serious consideration than Ricky Bobby did up there or that little boy in Sunday school. It's just kind of common, ho-hum. There's always been this tendency throughout history to replace the real Jesus with the Jesus that we want. But friends, listen, the teaching of Christmas, the focus of Christmas is there is a real Jesus. He grew up, and we can know the real Jesus. The most important thing anyone can do with their life is embrace the life of Jesus. Just to kind of keep with our, where we're going this morning, uh, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read another passage we don't commonly associate with the Christmas narrative. But it really is because, again, it brings us face to face with Jesus, present tense. Kind of removes him out of the swaddling clothes of the, of the nativity scene. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 says this. From the very first day we were there, this is written by Jesus' disciple, one of his close, his inner trust 
of the disciples. One phrase says this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. It isn't that he didn't love the others. It just seems like there was this unique relationship with John when he was on the cross. He said uh, to his mother, behold your son, I entrust John, I entrust you to John. So there was a, a unique relationship. And so John is now writing these words and he says from the very first day we were there. Where? With Jesus, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. What the word of life, the expression, the thought of God come to life and appeared right before us. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in the most sober prose, that was what we witnessed. And what we witness is incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this. Because then your joy will double our joy. Now this is an important statement because this was written probably 60 to 70 years, probably about 50 to 60 years after Jesus died resurrected and left this earth. There was a group at this time that were really attempting to establish their own Jesus, put Jesus in their own box. They claimed to be the, the true thinkers, the super intellects. They were known at that time as the Gnostics, and they come up with this uh, form of belief called Gnosticism. They, they were considered, or they called themselves the knowledgeable ones. They were the bright ones. And they maintained that, that even if the followers claimed that Jesus was God, they were embarrassingly naive to think that he actually had a physical body. I mean, anybody with any sense of intelligence understood that anything of the material realm, they believed everything of the material realm back then, the Gnostics did, was evil. So how could God come in a body? Because it was evil, and God wouldn't be a part of evil. So well, why did they kind of lean into these truths and these beliefs? Well, there's a couple of areas. Number one, by arguing that everything material is evil, the Gnostics then begin to absolve themselves from the responsibility for the activity of their bodies. Point? Well, see, their logic allowed them to position themselves as deep and bright thinkers while they behaved like party animals. I mean, if your body wasn't evil, you could do whatever you wanted to do. No biggie. Because they believed that the spirit, the inner, inner man, was what was good. But you see, if you understand the biblical view, our bodies are amoral. There's nothing wrong with our bodies. There's nothing wrong with what we do if we do the right things. It's our heart that's wrong. And that's what needs to be regenerated or renewed or brought to life by the spirit of God. We've talked about it almost for four weeks. That it's not the outside of man that's the problem. It's what comes from within inside. And the Gnostics inverted that. Second is this. If this is true, the Gnostics declared it would be impossible for God to actually become a man and live in this evil form, in this evil body. So they said that he was simply an emanation of God, but not God incarnate. So here it's in the late 90s, 50 to 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And John is letting these people know he's speaking against that false truth. He's writing about this man who came to earth for every human. And he says, you've got to know this. You've got to believe this, people. 
These are not little fables that are used to make humans feel good about life. Jesus wasn't a phantom from God or an emanation of God. This is the truth. This is what really happened. This is why millions through the years have celebrated his birth. This is why we celebrate his birth today. John says it here. And, and he uses all the, modal, the, the key modalities of learning that we have. He talks about the audio. I heard him. I heard him teach. And then he goes to the, uh, he, he goes to the visual and he says, I saw him with my own eyes. And then he talks about the kinesthetic. He says, we felt him. Our hands handled him. We experienced the life of God. We touched him and we were touched by him. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't an emanation. He was God, man, in a physical body. And then he basically says throughout his writings, now you get to decide if you want to follow this man or not based on his claims. Are you willing to believe and to stake your life on what he has said and ultimately what he has done beginning with Christmas? And see, as we come, the focus of Christmas that we celebrate the teaching of these seasoned loved ones really isn't this. It's not some kind of romantic, nostalgic feeling focused on a baby in a nativity scene, but it is the activity of that scene that comes out from it. Not that simply warms our heart. It's not a sentimental metaphor that illustrates that we should wish harder, believe more for peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But the focus of Christmas is that Jesus come to bring transformation to our life to our lives, to our being. That is the truth John is communicating. When you really begin to understand this truth and embrace it, you know what you'll find? Jesus does something staggering in every person's life that responds to him and embraces him. But it, can only, it can't happen outside of the claims of his truth. And Jesus didn't come to warm our hearts. He came to change our lives. Most of us are familiar with Walt Disney, one of his biographies, you know who he is. He imagined Mickey Mouse and designed Disneyland and had the vision for Disney World. But he tells in his biography about a time when his daughter was this little girl, and she didn't know anything was special about her daddy. The only thing she knew is, well, that's my daddy. And finally one day, you know, I mean, she was going to school, and she's probably six or seven, and one day somebody really began to explain to her, do you know who your daddy is? Your daddy is Walt Disney. And a light went on. She rushed home that day, and she grabbed her dad, and she looked, him with, looked at him shocked, and she goes, why didn't you tell me? You're Walt Disney. Well, I've always been Walt Disney. Yeah, but see, there's a switch. And it goes on to talk in the biography about how from that time on, it just, although she loved her daddy, but there was this newfound joy that she experienced because of it. Well, that's what John is saying here. When you really understand who Jesus is, not only will your joy be made complete, but the people around you that have shared him with you will experience great joy too. Same thing happened, didn't it, for a woman named Mary, for a man named Joseph. It happened for a disciple named Peter, another disciple named James, another disciple named John. Those who said, I knew him. 
I walked with him. I heard him. He's, he's not an ordinary man, loved ones. This guy is the real deal. That's what they said. And John writes to set the record straight. For those of us who want their own Jesus, he says we need to be reminded of this simple truth. People still need the one, not the baby Jesus, but the man Jesus, the one who can change lives for the present and give a new future eternal destiny. The message of Christmas is about Jesus, the God-man, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father today, literally praying for you and me. Scripture says this in Matthew 1, 21 and 23. This is the Christmas story in essence. And she shall have a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, which means Savior or saves his people, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. There's a couple of present realities that are focused in there that remind us, that bring us from moving us out of the box of the Jesus that we want. First of all, that he forgives sins. Nobody else can do that. Oh, we can forgive sins of others that sin against us, but ultimately we can't forgive our own sins. Jesus comes to do that. I was out running this morning with Trina and, and just some of my iPod theology reminded me of, as I'm running, I'm listening to this song and the song talks about how we run from our past. We run from people. We run from things. We run from experiences. We run from circumstances. But really, where are we running to? And I was thinking about that. I said, you know something? When I, when I leave my house to run, I'm not running from my house I am running on a goal to get back to my house. I'm not running from something. I'm running to something to get back there in the quickest time as I can and hopefully in one piece. And see, that's our life with Jesus. So many people don't understand. So many people struggle in life because they are running from things. And they can never run fast enough. When Jesus says, listen, I am Emmanuel, God with you. Run to me. Come to me. Bring your stuff to me because I'm the one that can forgive. And see, friends, when we really come to Jesus like that, he will rock your world. But if you hang with a baby Jesus, can I tell you something? Your world's probably gonna feel the same because you're just gonna simply go, wow, I love this little Jesus. He's so sweet, so nice. But when you encounter the man Jesus, he will change and rock your world. I doubt that there will be a week that goes by that you won't hear the whispers, the promptings of God speaking things into your life. Go here, do this, speak that. Don't do that. Do this, change this. Work on this. I love you, I want to change you. C.S. Lewis wrote another great story. It's called The Chronicles of Narnia. It's a series of stories. And in this, the, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Christ figure in the story is the fierce lion Aslan. And at one point in the story, the, the human children that are in there are about to meet Aslan for the first time. And they're just a little bit nervous. And so they're having this conversation with their guide, Mr. Beaver. And Lucy asks, is, is he a man? Mr. Beaver replies, Aslan, a man? Certainly not. 
I tell you, he is the king of the wood. He is the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? Man, I feel really nervous about meeting a lion. Oh, you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. And he isn't safe, replies Lucy. Safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good because he's the king. And see, that's Jesus for us, loved ones. That's the picture of Jesus that C.S. Lewis is trying to share. The Bible calls him the Lion of Judah. And this is the one that will come in and rock and change your world. It will be difficult at times, but it will always be good, even though it isn't real safe. See, our staff has been getting the connection cards that you've been filling out. We just love hearing from you. It's amazing to me in the last couple of months as we get anywhere from probably 25, 35, 40 of these every week that we pray over. And a lot of them now are becoming many testimonies of what God is doing in your life, what God is changing, the works that he's bringing about. I love those. I've never gotten so many emails in my life as I have in the last couple of months. Pastor, I just want you to know this is what Jesus is doing in me. And I want to tell you, it's not that people are writing and saying, well, Jesus has taken this habit away or this thing is, is I'm not doing this anymore. It's, 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 it's less tangible than that. It's more powerful in that we're saying, I'm being transformed. I'm being changed. I'm, I'm feeling closer to Jesus. I'm being transformed by Jesus. And what I'm seeing and hearing is people are looking more like Jesus than ever. And that's the ultimate. It isn't about dropping a bad habit. It's about being like Jesus. Somebody come up to me after second service and just sat down with me and just said, Pastor, I need to tell you this. And they began to talk about what God's been doing in their lives for the last couple of months. And they said, I've never been so blessed in and through Creekside and what's happening, what God's speaking to me. I'm being changed. Thank you. See, friends, when, when God really gets in your life, when Jesus comes, he'll rock your world. He'll change your life. And it won't always be safe. But it will always be good. See, he comes to be with us. Not only does he come to forgive our sins, loved ones, but he comes to be with us. He comes to make his home in our lives. Christmas 2009, five days away. Where are you today? Where are you today? Do you kind of have Jesus in your own box? I want a Jesus that's going to meet my needs. I want a Jesus that's going to, when I pray and rub the prayer lamp, that he's going to come and do what I want, and you've been disappointed because he hasn't fulfilled what you want instead of what you need. Could you, have you done that today? Or do you still have this little baby Jesus that's just sitting in a manger, nice, warm, cuddly? That's nice, I'll leave him there. That's really, really safe. Do you have a Jesus that's following you instead of you following him? 
Maybe you've become too familiar with Jesus in another way that, well, you've got him so figured out that you tell everybody else how Jesus is and should be in their life. And instead of being a help and a source of encouragement and, and blessing, it's now almost kind of judgmental. And you kind of have a tendency to look down on people instead of walking with encouraging them and helping them in their journey to find Jesus, the real Jesus. See, we can all come at different places. Or maybe you're someone today that, you know, I've never really seen Jesus more than just kind of this nice little warm story. It's kind of just warmed my heart, but it's never really challenged me with the truth that he came to die for my sins. And maybe today you would need to say, I need to embrace that truth. I need to receive not just the truth, but the person of the truth, the man, God, Jesus Christ. Or maybe some of you have been so stuck in failure that you don't think Jesus can do anything with you. His name will be called Jesus because he will save people from their sins. That's not a past tense thing, friends. That's every day of your life. We're going to continue with worship, and as we do that, I want to invite you to stand with me. And in these last 10, 12 minutes, I want you to just think for a moment, where, where is Jesus with you today? Is there a box or a place that you have them? And maybe this is just a, a wonderful time to say, Lord, I, I, I don't want my vision of Jesus to be mine. I, I want to see Jesus for who he is, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, the one that's coming back someday, the one that's going to bring an end to everything. My goal, my heart is that this pastor, this church, would see and experience the real Jesus this season. Amen. Would you just bow your heads as we pray and continue to prepare our hearts for worship. Father, we come today. Sometimes I feel like Ricky Bobby and I'm just sitting there praying these silly prayers of, Lord, I want this, I need that, do this. Instead of just coming before you and saying, God, you've forgiven my sins. You have taken up residence in my life. And I want to come back today to this season and experience your majestic being, the grandeur of your glory, the incredible love of your life that literally said you would leave the palaces and corridors of heaven to experience the dirty, dungy parts of this earth. Not so you would be this wonderful person, but so that you could show us God and not be afraid of God because you are God incarnate. And when we see you, you are the expression of God. So today, Lord, I pray that for each one of us here, bring us back to see you as you are. And as we worship you now, just enlarge our vision of your majesty, I pray. And we give you thanks for that today in Jesus' name.